Pete's sake. I'm Kat. And I'm Liz, and we're Chatting Catholic. We're self-study theologians of the domestic church. And we love reading what the Bishop of Rome has to say for himself. Welcome back, Liz. We're back to For Pete's Sake. Hey, guys. Uh, I call them all my my papists in my head. I know you said that before. That's so cute that, like, our viewers have a pet name. In my head, they do. Okay, good. I did say that before. Like, have I told them that that's what I call them? I wonder if they're offended. No, I anyway, think that's a, y'all my papists. I think uh, <laughs> I think it's so cute. Our viewers have a little have a little nickname. <laughs> it is Ash Thursday. <laughs> um, so what you doing for Lent? Um, so this is probably the first Lent that I am not pregnant nor breastfeeding so I was like I think since it's been so long (laughs) since I've had a Lent where I could actually fast I'm um I'm slowly gonna work through a fast all right it's not like yeah not super restrictive as far as like items I think I'm doing Somewhat like no dairy, kind of simple food, simple vegetables, sure, simple sure. proteins, just kind of really. I think food for me is like my biggest hang up. <laughs> it's like my biggest yeah. addiction for sure. I love food. So, yeah, I mean, if I have an opportunity to do a Lent where I can fast, then I definitely need to dive into that. Take it. Yeah, I mean, they tell you not to diet for Lent. Right. Um, But I am. But I am fasting, and I do hope to lose some weight because in since COVID, I've gained enough that kneeling hurts. Yeah. Like, getting up from kneeling is now a production. Someday <laughs> I'm going to go back to church, and I'm going to want to be able to kneel and stand and kneel and stand <laughs> without, like, creep, pop, like I was 90. Yep. Yes. So... I I hope that my Lenten fasts r- return me to a state where I can go to church without production. <laughs> well, definitely find us on Instagram and Facebook and let us know what are you giving up for Lent. Give us some of your yes. ideas because we absolutely would definitely love to hear that. Um, yep, and liking us, commenting. On our stuff on Facebook makes more people able to find us. Yeah. So. Oh, and then you've been telling people to remember to review. Rate. Rate and review the podcast, please. It's a huge favor for us. Yeah. We definitely need to hear from you guys more and more feedback and things like that. Um, So Liz is going to take us through paragraphs 142 all the way to 153, and that's going to finish up chapter four for us. So Liz, take it away. Local and universal. It should be kept in mind that an innate tension exists between globalization and localization. We need to pay attention to the global so as to avoid narrowness and banality, yet we also need to look to the local, which keeps our feet on the ground. Together, the two prevent us from falling into one of two extremes. In the first, people get caught up in an abstract, globalized universe. In the other, they turn into a museum of local folklore, a world apart, doomed to doing the same things over and over, incapable of being challenged by novelty or appreciating the beauty God bestows beyond their borders. We need to have a global outlook to save ourselves from petty provincialism. When our house stops being a home and starts to become an enclosure, a cell, 
then the global comes to our rescue, like a final cause that draws us towards our fulfillment. At the same time, though, the local has to be eagerly embraced, for it possesses something that the global does not. It is capable of being a leaven, of bringing enrichment, of sparking mechanisms of subsidiarity. Universal fraternity and social friendship are thus two inseparable and equally vital poles in every society. To separate them would be to disfigure each and to create a dangerous polarization. Local flavor. The solution is not an openness that spurns its own richness. Just as there can be no dialogue with others without a sense of our own identity, so can there be no openness between peoples except on the basis of love for one's own land, one's own people, one's own cultural roots. I cannot truly encounter another unless I stand on firm foundations, for it is on the basis of these that I can accept the gift the other brings and in turn offer an authentic gift of my own. I can welcome others who are different and value the unique contribution they have to make only if I am firmly rooted in my own people and culture. Everyone loves and cares for his or her native land and village, just as they love and care for their home and are personally responsible for its upkeep. The common good likewise requires that we protect and love our native land. Otherwise, the consequences of a disaster in one country will end up affecting the entire planet. All this brings out the positive meaning of the right to property. I care for and cultivate something that I possess in such a way that it can contribute to the good of all. It also gives rise to healthy and enriching exchanges. The experience of being raised in a particular place and sharing in a particular culture gives us insight into aspects of reality that others cannot so easily perceive. Universal does not necessarily mean bland, uniform, and standardized based on a single prevailing cultural model, for this will ultimately lead to the loss of a rich palette of shades and colors and result in utter monotony. Such was the temptation referred to in the ancient count of the Tower of Babel. The attempt to build a tower that would reach to heaven was not an expression of unity between various peoples, speaking to one another from their diversity. It was a misguided attempt, born of pride and ambition, to create a unity other than that, with but in his providential plan for the nations. There can be a false openness to the universal, born of the shallowness of those lacking insight into the genius of their native land or harboring unresolved resentment toward their own people. Whatever the case, we constantly have to broaden our horizons and see the greater good which will benefit us all. But this has to be done without evasion or uprooting. We need to sink our roots deeper into the fertile soil and history of our native place, which is a gift of God. We can work on a small scale in our own neighborhood, but with a larger perspective. The global need not stifle, nor the particular prove barren. Our model must be that of a polyhedron, in which the value of each individual is respected, where the whole is greater than the part, but is also greater than the sum of its parts. A Universal Horizon there is a kind of local narcissism unrelated to a healthy love of one's own people and culture. It is born of a certain insecurity and the fear of the other that leads to rejection and the desire to erect walls for self-defense. Yet it is impossible to be local in a healthy way without sincerely being open to the universal, without feeling challenged by what is happening in other places, without openness to enrichment by other cultures, and without solidarity and concern for the tragedies affecting other peoples. 
uh, local narcissism, instead frets over a limited number of ideas, customs, and forms of security, incapable of admiring the vast potential and beauty offered by the larger world, it lacks an authentic and generous spirit of solidarity. Life on the local level thus becomes less and less welcoming, people less open to complementarity. Its possibilities for development narrow, it grows weary and infirm. A healthy culture, on the other hand, is open and welcoming by its very nature. Indeed, a culture without universal values is not truly a culture. Let us realize that as our minds and hearts narrow, the less capable we become of understanding the world around us. Without encountering and relating to differences, it is hard to achieve a clear and complete understanding even of ourselves and of our native land. Other cultures are not enemies from which we need to protect ourselves, but differing reflections of the inexhaustible richness of human life. Seeing ourselves from the perspective of another, of one who is different, we can better recognize our own unique features and those of our culture, its richness, its possibilities, and its limitations. Our local experience needs to develop in contrast to and in harmony with the experiences of others living in diverse cultural contexts. In fact, a healthy openness never threatens one's own identity. A living culture enriched by elements from other places does not import a mere carbon copy of those new elements, but integrates them in its own unique way. The result is a new synthesis that is ultimately beneficial to all, since the original culture itself ends up being nourished. That is why I have urged indigenous peoples to cherish their roots and their ancestral cultures, at the same time, though, I have wanted to stress that I have no intention of proposing a completely enclosed, ahistoric, static indigenism that would reject any kind of blending. For our own cultural identity is strengthened and enriched as a result of dialogue with those unlike ourselves, nor is our authentic identity preserved by impoverished isolation. The world grows and is filled with new beauty thanks to the successive syntheses produced between cultures that are open and free of any form of cultural imposition. For a healthy relationship between love of one's native land and a sound sense of belonging to our larger human family, it is helpful to keep in mind that global society is not the sum total of different countries, but rather the communion that exists among them. A mutual sense of belonging is prior to the emergence of individual groups. Each particular group becomes part of the fabric of universal communion and there discovers its own beauty. All individuals, whatever their origin, know that they are part of the greater human family without which they will not be able to understand themselves fully. To see things in this way brings the joyful realization that no one people, culture, or individual can achieve everything on its own. To attain fulfillment in life, we need others. An awareness of our own limitations and incompleteness, far from being a threat, becomes the key to envisaging and pursuing a common project. For man is a limited being who is himself limitless. Starting with our own region. Thanks to regional exchanges, by which poorer countries become open to the wider world, universality does not necessarily water down their distinct features. An appropriate and authentic openness to the world presupposes the capacity to be open to one's neighbor within a family of nations. Cultural, economic, and political integration with neighboring peoples should therefore be accompanied by a process of education that promotes the value of love for one's neighbor, the first indispensable step towards attaining healthy universal integration. 
In some areas of our cities, there is still a lively sense of neighborhood. Each person quite spontaneously perceives a duty to accompany and help his or her neighbor. In places where these community values are maintained, people experience a closeness marked by gratitude, solidarity, and reciprocity. The neighborhood gives them a sense of shared identity. Would that neighboring countries were able to encourage a similar neighborly spirit between their peoples. Yet the spirit of individualism also affects relations between countries. The danger of thinking that we have to protect ourselves from one another, of viewing others as competitors or dangerous enemies, also affects relations between people in the same region. Perhaps we were trained in this kind of fear and mistrust. There are powerful countries and large businesses that profit from this isolation and prefer to negotiate with each country separately. On the other hand, small or poor countries can sign agreements with their regional neighbors that will allow them to negotiate as a block and thus avoid being cut off, isolated, and dependent on the great powers. Today, no state can ensure the common good of its population if it remains isolated. Thank you, Liz, for reading through that. I absolutely love this section, especially in remembering our interview we did with Dr. Russell. If you haven't listened to that, we did a bonus episode. So definitely check out that episode a few weeks back that we did with Dr. Levi Russell. He's an economic professor, and he's also a fellow at the Leonine Institute. And he gave us a brief rundown on a lot of topics. But one topic that he touched on was subsidiarity and how that ties into economics and politics and how does that tie into our um, worldview with using Catholic social teaching as our viewpoint. So I really love that this section really talks a lot about about that same subject where laws should support the family and churches. Even our viewpoints need to be local, even an individual local within our family and then build out that way. I really love that in paragraph 143, the solution is not an openness that spurns its own richness, just as there can be no dialogue with others without a sense of our own identity. So this really even shows in ourselves how subsidiarity can almost be a mindset within ourselves. First, we have to identify with ourselves, our family, our ancestors, our local community, and then we can be able to understand more universal relationships. Yep. There exists an innate tension between globalization and localization. Uh, We need to pay attention to global, so we're not narrow or banal, but the local keeps our feet on the ground. Yes. One of the things you can... It's easier sometimes to care for the general humanity who doesn't pee on your bed at three in the morning (laughs) um, than it is to care for the people who live in your house. I pray for world peace. Yep. It's so easy to pay for world peace right up until somebody cuts you off on the interstate. Then you don't want world peace. (laughs) You want justice. Yeah. For sure. And then also just the idea that you hear so many generalization statements, like when they're thinking globally, it's like, well, this is just the way it is, or this is just how people are. But mm-hmm. it's like, how do you, you know, if you take too many generalizations, um, then that's not good either. I almost look at, I almost have yeah. to always look at my own experiences locally, like what I've actually 
um, yes. seen from my neighbor, my neighborhoods, people I've encountered yep. with, and then I can make some generalization from there, but I need to have an understanding of the people around me to even make the bigger yes. generalizations globally. It It's too easy to try and paint a whole entire peoples with brushes when it's there's much more philosophy going behind in every decision that a person makes. We don't always agree on our underlying stuff. Mm-hmm. One of the things that this really, uh, he says something, um, the experience of being raised in a particular place and sharing in a particular culture gives us insight into aspects of reality that others cannot so easily perceive. Um, one of the things that I really don't like about the whole anti-American American culture is we deny Americanness. We're like, mm-hmm. I'm not really American because I don't do football or whatever it is that's offending you at the moment. But American culture is, it is something. Um, you've got artists, Norman Rockwell, Henry Osawa Tanner, you've got Warhol, Mary Cassatt, um, Emily Dickinson, because I could not stop for death, that kindly stopped for me. Robert <laughs> Frost, Two Roads oh, Converged in a Wood. Yes, and I, I love Robert yeah, Frost. Everybody knows that one. Maya Angelou, a free bird leaps on the wind and floats down stream to the curtains. Um, but that's not even, like, that's the highbrow culture. But break me up piece of that. You know, you <laughs> finished it. You finished it because you are an American and you finished it. Um, fancy. Anyway, you've got LeVar Burton, the guy who did Reading Rainbow. You can hear his voice in your head if you're an American of certain age. You know what Big Bird looks like. And he's yellow, not blue. Apparently he's blue in other places. I was like, there's a blue Big Bird? I didn't even he's know that. He's got a whole family. It's weird. Look up Big Bird's family. Like, you'll also get, like, Little Bird, but they're weird. Um, I think Brazil's is actually terrifying. I think it's Brazil's. One of them is scary. Okay, I gotta look it up now. Different Big Birds. <laughs> Your mind will be blown. Um, I know. But all of these things are a part of the American fabric, and it's, you can't deny them. So, I don't know. If you're, like, an expatriate. If you're an expatriate and you're in a room with other expatriates and also random other people and you go, like a good neighbor, <laughs> some people are finishing your sentence. Um, You know, we might not all love American football, but we're not neutral. We know the rules. We know the general ideas. We know a lot of these things, even sometimes we pretend we don't want to. We know that 4th of July is hot dogs and cheap beer and also portobello burgers because some people want to be countercultural because they're really American. Being countercultural is American! <laughs> and I mean, yeah, it's fair to say some of this stuff is toxic. It's fair to say... That American culture isn't the be-all, end-all, but it is all parts of who we are and it's not all bad. I mean, 
American yeah. Catholics especially would do well to realize that we're like 5% of the world's Catholics and the world does not revolve around us at all. But it's also not a bad thing to hold hands at the Our Father Eve. Oh, man. So we don't hold hands at the during the Our Father. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I'm like, in fairness of the things that American Catholics do that other Catholics don't, I'm like, COVID can take that one. Bye-bye. <laughs> You're like, no. Yeah. Germs. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Don't we all are like, oh, germs. Um, Actually, really interesting, like, talking about culture just re- recently and, like, especially multiculturalism in education and in school system and how to integrate them and things like that. One of the things that I kind of talked about since I am, like, a mixed culture, mm-hmm. my perspective, especially my American perspective, is that I'm almost 99% of my life, I'm almost always minority. But um, it's just really interesting because when we were discussing it in a, in a form of education, like how to integrate classrooms, it was the one thing I told them is that like in the spirit of trying to be universal or global or like inclusive, you also turn us into novelties. Like we don't necessarily want to do a report in front of the class about our ancestry and what our culture is like. Like we can Mm -hmm. touch on those things. And yes, like it's important to be respected in the classroom, but we also don't want to like negate the fact that a lot of people here just want to be connected and be in a group and um, not have to be a novelty and just be involved. We just want to be enjoyed by other people and uh, normal. We just want to be normal. (laughs) Tokenism sucks. Tokenism is absolutely a cruelty. Yeah. (laughs) It denies a little bit of that fancy big word intersectionality you Mm -hmm. can be a lot of bubbles and in you the bubbles overlap that's what it means intersectionality this person is at the Mm -hmm. center of american filipino and catholic hi cat (laughs) (laughs) um compared to somebody who's just plain old white american white white catholic (laughs) that would be me I have a, a, technically, I have a bunch of things, but I'm just a mutt. (laughs) Well, I'm just as mutt as well. (laughs) Yeah. And that's one of the things that he kind of talks about, right, is the, where is it? Uh, It's in 148. A living culture enriched by elements from other places doesn't import a carbon copy of those new elements. And that really made me think about the line... Like, my grandparents were passionately German, but I feel like a mutt. Besides an odd fondness for sauerkraut, I really didn't keep that. Compare that to my husband from North Dakota, and the Slavic ancestry up there is intense. So the chances of a second-generation Ukrainian marrying a second-generation Ukrainian and it just kind of condensing it all is really high and what do we do that what do we do with that when yeah like do your kids participate in filipino-ness is this is also really interesting too because i i really feel like 
in a lot of circles. They'll ask me about my culture and things like that. And my mm-hmm. husband laughs because I, he's just like, ha ha, like you're whiter than I am. And I'm like, I know, right? <laughs> like the way I act and speak and stuff like that, like quote unquote whiteness. Yes. But, I but think it, the internet term is basic now. I'm basic. Oh, I'm totally basic. <laughs> Proud. That's like my motto now. <laughs> Proudly uh, basic. One thing that I talk a lot about with him and with other friends and stuff like that is like I have noticed a switch to where things that like like you're German. That's completely interesting. But that's not what culturally we can focus on now. Like you're just white. Like I also don't want to just have European culture just be one blank slate of whiteness. Like I wouldn't want to. It's true. You know, I don't want people to generalize like the way I look. And assume yeah. they know, like, my culture and things like that. I also want, like, people to, um, you know, be able to look at different cultures, even within the European European mm-hmm. countries. It's, it's, it's one of those things where it's, there's a time and a place for it. And I think we're still learning that as Americans. When is it a moment to celebrate right. my heritage? And when is it a moment to just be like, okay, let's do something else now? Yeah. There is a really good, oh, his name is Brian Holdsworth. I believe I'll have to look it up. I'll definitely put it in the show notes when I find it. But he did a really good talk on that because there was, especially during all the racial things, and I think Mm -hmm. when there are clearly injustices, like there are, it's very clear. But then I feel like we do tend to branch out and be like super sensitive about things. And so he was saying that, some of his churches and some of his people that he was speaking to was actually taking out white images of Christ and Mm -hmm. of Mary and things like that. And he's like, every culture has an image of Mary. We shouldn't say that only European ones are now bad. Like we can fully, I've seen churches fully embrace different um, Mm -hmm. images and that's fine and good. That's the way that it each culture be. has taken them on. So he's like, let's not yeah. let's not go too far into saying now that's yes. all bad now. There are Lady now of even. Lords is a good thing. Mm-hmm. So is Lady of Cabejo yes. and the Lady our Lady of Guadalupe. She comes in different skin colors for a reason. God mm-hmm. meant to say to in each of these times he meant to say, She is your mother. Yes. And, Cats, kids aside, most of the time you look a little like your mama. Cats, kids aside, yes. <laughs> oh. I mean, okay, yes. your kids are not the only kids in the world that look exclusively like dad. But, you know, it's just funny in your case. I know. <laughs> um, I'll When I find it, I'll definitely post pictures. But we went to, when we were in Portland, we went to the grotto there. And I'll post pictures, but I love it because it's like high up on a cliff and it has every cultural, not every cultural, because of course there's not that many, but they have probably 20 different little houses decorated for that culture. So if it's like, you know, Japanese version of Mary, then they would have it in more of like that style. Our Lady of Akita, I think? Yes. Yes. Thank you. And so there's just a bunch, I just love it because 
I loved walking my kids through it and showing them so many different ways that it's not just the white Mary they've seen. Being able to to let them love their culture because they take on more of an Irish, Catholic Irish is what uh, my kids want to be. She will stop at nothing to love all of us. If you want just like different perspectives of especially um, a lot of American stories on mm-hmm. racial ambiguity, there is a really good episode of NPR's podcast, Rough Translation. Um, that podcast interviewed a lot of people kind of like me or who I would think as someone who's mixed race or in between races and um, just their stories of um, not really fitting into one specific group. And mm-hmm. then also how other people interact with them, trying to put them in a group that they're like, wait, what? <laughs> I don't go with those people. I don't, I'm not, yeah. For me, a lot of the times people will walk up and um, speak Spanish to me. I have 0% percent Spanish blood. I am in no way Spanish. I actually look more Greek than than a lot yes. of other things, but people legit just see Hispanic or <laughs> or uh, Filipinos tell me I don't look Filipino at all. People who are not Filipino tell me that I am very, very Filipino. I'm like I you I'm confused. I don't want to belong to any of it, and I, I think that's why I resonate. And I've said this before in the podcast. I resonate so much with a universal church, just yeah. because then you get your own culture. That mm. spreads more on ethnicity, you know. Yeah. We can definitely have those touches of respect and different, like, going to different masses. Like, you can go to a Spanish mm-hmm. mass and you can go to this, but it's all authentically the same in, you know. Yes. It's the Eucharist everywhere. Yes. All right. Anything else? Yes. Since we're talking race and m- recommending podcasts, um... <laughs> I recommend plaid skirts and basic black. Ooh, plaid skirts and basic black. Yeah. They're doing for Black History Month, they've got six black American Catholics like talking about their experience being black Catholic. Thanks for joining us this week on For Pete's Sake as we explore the words of Pope Francis in Fratelli Tutti. Find For Pete's Sake on Facebook and Instagram. You can find links to Fratelli Tutti and some of our sources in the show notes. See you next week. St. Peter, ora pro nobis.